many challenges in and um, those who have had children um, will know I've got a one-year-old son his name is Noah I love him so much uh, I miss him incredibly um, and we got another one on the way when I when I get back which is quite daunting but um, hey-ho we'll make it work <laughs> um, and one of the things which I kind of mentioned this morning is that when you when you have additions to your family, your time kind of, it doesn't get stretched, it gets reduced or um, the moments that you might like to watch the tennis kind of get a little bit like, oh, should I really watch the tennis? Or should I make sure the kid's not gonna fall off this? Or, you know, you, you have those moments and, and time with God and um, being in that, you know, that when Jesus refers to the secret place, being in the secret place, that, that time um, feels like it gets um, get squeezed a lot so one of the things don't think about this for too long but one of the things that I would do is I would stand in the shower because that's one of the times where I, I, I know I'm definitely by myself um, and I just put my hands in the air and I just take two or three minutes at the start of the day just to agree with his goodness um, and it tends to be more than enough um, that when I stand there and uh, uh, my wife would testify to this all kind of like weird and wonderful sounds and hymns come out of the shower um, but it's just because it's become a sacred space for me. Um, and I just want to just encourage you guys that when you're going through difficult seasons um, or even challenging seasons, new seasons that you maybe haven't been through before, um, stand in the shower and give thanks or find a space where it's sacred to you and give thanks um, because the rejoicing and the knowing the truth and the truth setting us free brings us into a place of peace, which I just think is incredible. And obviously, you know, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit is, is what the kingdom is about. So if you're missing out on peace, you're missing out on a third of the kingdom. That's quite a lot. Um, so get involved in the, in the peace, um, which I think will be um, valuable for us all. So um, I'm going to start now and um, I'm just going to read um, a word that I shared with the, with the church this morning. Um, so just in, just in praying and asking God, you know, um, how, what does it look like for me to be a gift to, to this body um, for this time that we're together? Um, because I love, I love All Saints. Um, I really, really loved my time here. Um, and I would, yeah, I would happily come back um, just to honour the leaders and say thank you again for the opportunity to be here and share um, and just be a part of what's going on. I really appreciate um, but I just said, God, you know, what does it look like for me to be a gift to this body at this time? And I just felt him give me this word, um, which I read out this morning. I'm going to, um, I, I would encourage you to listen to this morning, not because of me, but because I feel like God's given you guys a strategic message into um, the formation which you're going to gather into in this next season. Um, and the same again for tonight. I'm going to speak slightly differently. Um, those of you who are making notes, um, if you want to, the, the title, if you like, is going to be Keys to Promised Land Living. Um, just some things that I've been through in the last year, um, which hopefully will be a blessing to you as well. Um, so I'm just going to read this. Um, some of you might want to close your eyes. Some of you might want to um, stand up. Some of you might want to lie down or walk out. Um, feel free to do all, preferably not the last one. Um, but I just feel like this is what the Holy Spirit's laid um, for, for, for this body at this time. Um, I see a fresh expression of the faithful city arising, a time to get into formation, both within yourselves and as a body. I see carriers of light dispersing into dark pockets of the city and a place of refuge being birthed. The land which has been promised is going to bear fruit from seeds planted long ago by faithful mothers and fathers of this city. 
There's a shift in unity coming in the body of Christ and opportunities to serve together. You will carry hope as a torch to light the way and peace will reign in the city once more. I hear, give me your all and I will make it more. Don't be afraid to be planted for future generations, that they would be your fruit. Count yourselves in. The city is your inheritance to walk in the way of love and establish my kingdom. Seek me and I will revive the breathlessness in your lungs. What you breathe out will become life-giving. I will establish through you a graced inheritance for a city of light. Nothing is impossible. Dream with me. I am the great I am. Amen. Amen. I hope that excites you. Um, I've been praying it since, since I felt God gave it to me. And um, I'm really excited for Worcester. Um, I'm really excited for, the, for this body and for, for this congregation of what it is that you're going to be, what it is you're going to be journeying into. And um, I just shared very briefly this morning, you know, if we, we just want to quickly, when thinking about getting into formation, it's something that God told Joshua that before the Israelites crossed into the promised land um, that they needed to get into formation. And there was a specific formation that they needed to go in with um, in order to enter into the promised land in the way which God intended them to. And the sense is with this word is that maybe not, it's, it, it might not be the promised land for, for all saints Worcester, but it, it it's, it's definitely going to be what promised land living looks like for you as a body. And so in the, in the, in the formation, um, just, I just want us to bear in mind that Israel came from a place of being in slavery um, in Egypt and they wandered around the desert for 40 years. It didn't take God so long to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took a long time to get Egypt out of Israel. And once they were ready, once they'd lost their slave mentalities, once they realized that the only way that we can do this is through him, then he said, now you're going to enter into the land flowing with milk and honey. And so milk and honey, thinking about it, milk speaks of sustenance. Honey speaks of sweetness. Um, So the land where you're going to be sustained and the land where it's going to be sweet for you to enter into. Um, and And I think one of the... One of the big things that we learned on the village, because we went through and um, we went through a transition. Those of you who, who will know a bit about the village, our founders, Titch and Joan, incredible apostolic leaders um, who their, their book is here. Um, and it's an incredible read. Um, they they really paved the way. They gave an inheritance for the children of South Africa to come into a place where they could find family and home and love and life and peace and joy, reconciliation and redemption. It was, it's, it's an incredible place. Many people have been here. Even Alice um, came out as a, as a volunteer and then I walk in and she's here tonight. It's amazing. Um, and so, you know, as we... As we journeyed through this time with Titch and Joan, receiving all that we could from them, and then um, a couple of years ago, they passed on the leadership, the day-to-day running of the village to, to, to two couples, and, and my wife and I had the privilege of, of being one of those two couples. And we really felt like, because we always called like Titch behind his back, because he would just say, shush, if we'd said this, we said, like, he's so like a Moses. He's so like a Moses because he represented that person who brought people out of slavery and he was the one who led them towards the promised land through a desert time where slavery was being taken out of our mindsets. It was being taken out of our lifestyle choices and and Titch and Joan kind of saw us through as the the Moses um, and, and it was just, just an incredible time and we really just felt that actually what God was saying was that the next season was going to be for a Joshua 
to take the people through to the promised land. And I shared for some of you, um, some of you guys this morning that I'm not Joshua. Thank God I'm not Joshua. Um, thank God I am who I am and that he's, he's shown me who I am and what gift I am to live village. But um, the thing that we, we, we even sing this, um, we're singing Zulu songs about crossing over the Jordan. Um, like, it, yeah, it was just, Seli weli le i Jordani. So we're singing like we're crossing over the Jordan. We're going from one place to another. And that is the promised land before us. And we, we got so excited about, you know, not like leaving the Titch and Joan era behind because we, we recognize mothers and fathers of faith are like incredible people and they must continue to walk with us. Um, but we, we, we started to, to take these steps towards what, what we thought was the promised land and, um, and where we thought there wouldn't be any giants um, but the reality is promised land exists with giants in it. And so the message that I was sharing this morning about overcoming in, in the private and bringing it into the public, like that's so important for us as, as the body of Christ to understand who we are and whose we are and what we're graced for and where grace says, yes, we can go and where, where grace is not, where we don't feel him smiling over something to, to, to understand, we, let's not step that way. Like, Mo, you know, when Moses prayed and he said, God, if you don't go with, if you don't go with us, then we won't move from here. Like that kind of mentality. So as we're going, we're like, God, we want to we do this right. We want to go into the promised land. And, um, and we felt like we would walk into this space as a community where we would just find like complete wholeness and there wouldn't be any issues. And it would just be like, yes, the troubled days are over. And, um, and then we came to a hard, hard realization that promised land is not a destination. It's a choice. I'll say it again. Promised land living is not a destination that you reach. It's a choice that you make. Because what we tend, what we tend to do is we, we don't like to necessarily embrace the journey. We do, let's use Roger Federer as the example, the poetic um, example that we've just heard already this evening. So Roger Federer has just won Wimbledon. If he only ever placed um, his value in lifting the trophy, the trophy doesn't mean too much. If he places his value in every point, every game, every set, and he continues to make choices which are going to see him towards that goal and towards that prize, when he gets there, it's not so much about what the cup looks like and how heavy it is and how many photographs he can have taken with the cup. The value is found in the journey of actually saying, promised land choices look like me making a choice here and now, a small yes on my way. And therefore, when I reach a destination, it's not going to be a destination where I'm going to stay forever because my journey is continual. I keep on picking this up and I haven't drank, so I'm going to drink now. <laughs> I keep getting carried away. So I want to, I want to encourage you, you know, in, in Proverbs 29, it says, for, for a lack of vision that, that, uh, that people, will, um, people will fade or people will just basically crumble and, and they won't be able to get out of what life what they, what they want to. And, and you know, we, see it, we see it all the time around us. People with a lack of vision, they perish um, because they can't see, they can't see what is they're going for. So it's not that it's wrong to have promised land living as a big picture reality which we want to walk towards. But what I'm saying is, if, if, I, if I can't learn to value the small steps that I'm going to have to take, when I get there, 
it's just not going to feel as good. You know, anyone who's played on a sports team, you will know, and especially if you've played in a, in a team with other people, um, you will know what you learn to fight for together, what you go through together, the ups and downs, the ins, the outs, the, the grating against each other and the hard work that it actually takes to make community happen. When you reach a place of, of victory together, what you actually end up doing, I don't know if you've noticed this, what you actually end up doing is you talk about the old times. You don't talk, hey, do you remember when you lifted that cup? Like, oh, your arms look so good. It was like, do you remember when you made that last tackle to stop that goal from going in? And that was what got us into the final. If you didn't do that there, we wouldn't be here now. And so in this in this journey that you guys are, are taking into, into promised land living of whatever that looks like. And I think regardless of the prophetic words, God's always call us, calling us into promised land living, but I just think he's really put his finger on something for the community to say, guys, there, there is, and I'm gonna prophesy this over you, there is so much more. There is so much more. Hold on to your pants and enjoy, but it's gonna be hard. But Jesus, like I said this morning, Jesus never promised us that it would be easy. He said, pick up your cross. He said, anyone who puts their hands to the plow in the kingdom of God and looks back is not worthy of it. Like, there must be things that we want to look back to. There must be things that we have to, we, we leave behind and choices that we have to make. And I just wanna, just wanna open up by just, just encouraging you guys. Your vision is for promised land living but don't wait to get there because there comes here now when you give him your yes. One of the things that I, um, God told our discipleship school this year is the word he actually gave us for the six months is consistently plant your hearts in good soil and I will grow you. Consistently plant your hearts in good soil and I will grow you. And I, 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 I genuinely believe consistency is the most underrated thing in the kingdom of God. If you look at Jesus, he's the most consistent man that's ever lived. Consistently in, in, in communication with his father, consistently loving, consistently seeing the world around him, consistently finding rest, consistently challenging, consistently healing. Everything that Jesus did speaks of incredible consistency. And um, I'm, I'm going to say this because I know that it was probably the, the mentality which my generation or some of our generation was brought up with. It's like, you don't have to be com completely consistent in everything. If you can get away with something for as long as you can, then do it. And then when you need to do something to make sure you get away with it, then just make sure you've done enough and then you can go again. But I just, honestly, I just, I just feel like, imagine what the body of Christ is gonna, be, is gonna look like and, and feel like and sound like and taste like and smell like when we learn to give our consistent yes to him. And I, 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 I dare you to dream a dream with the Holy Spirit. Just as it says at the end of the word, dream with me. Dream what a consistent yes looks like in your life. Because there's no point in waiting for the movie style moments, the drum roll, the flashing lights, the smoke comes in. We, we don't get that. That's, that's you know, I, well, I don't know when that's ever gonna come, but it's, it's, it's not a reality that I live in. And so just as we, 
just as we enter into this, I just want to really make it find value in the journey. Find value in the journey and not just a destination. Um, one of the things which God's put on my heart as well to share is that um, I think one of the things that we love, you know, we, we often refer to ourselves as the children of God, and it's so true and it's so right. Um, we are his children. We've been grafted into his tree. I mean, can you believe the grace of it? That he, he would take us who are far and he would bring us near. And we've been adopted into his family by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, which we, we honored this morning, which like three amazing, three couples in, in this body who have done, done that. Do you know that if every church in the UK, if a couple in every, in every church in the UK adopted a child in England, there'd be no orphan children in the UK. Just, just a thought. Um, so, sorry. Um, so in, in this space of saying, we've been adopted into his family and we, you know, we, uh, the, the song, you know, I'm no, longer a, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God, like uh, that song resonates deep, deep in me. Um, and you know, the Bible says that for, for, in John 1, for all who would believe in him, he's given the right to become the child of God, to become the children of God. And it's, and it's so good. But the thing I love about the gospel is it, is it finds us there. It finds us in adoption where it's like we get our birth certificate. Like here on earth, when we are born, we get a birth certificate. It says who we are. It says when we were born. It says our mum and dad's name and everything that we, everything that needs to be known about us. And for, for you know, even up until adulthood, you still need to be able to produce that piece of paper that says who you are and when you were born. That kind of validates you. And it's what the Holy Spirit does to us. Is if he, the, the mark of the Holy Spirit is the, is the validating that you are a child of God. That is, your, that is your stamp. It's like God's fingerprints on you. That's a nice analogy, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is God's fingerprints on you to say, this is my child. But the thing I also love about the gospel is it finds us in a certain place, but it doesn't expect us to stay there. And so in scripture, you see this, that in, in, in Philippians, it starts to talk about you, you are a child of God, but you're also a citizen of heaven. And as we grow up, we move from our mum and dad's passports where we have to travel with mum and dad all the time. And actually we move into a place where we receive our own identification of someone who says, I can go places and this is who I am. And it doesn't mean that the birth certificate is no longer there, but there is certainly an advancing. And I think one of the things which I've, um, I've got a desire to see in the body of Christ is that we would, we would find home and satisfaction and peace in being children of God, but also moving into this space of citizenship. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven here on earth? Because that's the reality. The Bible says that we, we are seated with him in heavenly places. In the book of Colossians 3, it, it talks about set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. So there's a definite call for us to start to fit, literally think like heaven. The same things that heaven sees, I want to see. And so in promised land living, I want to encourage, this, I want to encourage the church that we, we are children of God and that will never be taken away from us. That birth certificate, that mark of the Spirit, that seal, the Bible calls it a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit on our lives, it's never gonna be, it's never gonna be removed. But we, all, we move into citizenship too, where we grow up and, and, you know, even the Bible talks about, you know, you, you, you're still on milk, but you can't go on to meat because you're still on milk. 
But as we grow, as we grow in the spirit and we move into citizenship, promised land living is not gonna just leave us as children. Promised land living expects us to grow up, mature in faith and being able to be, you know, in scripture talks about being an ambassador of God, literally someone who directly represents the king. I don't know about you, that really challenges me because I think if I am the walking, talking representation of Jesus Christ on this earth, my prayer is, Holy Spirit, help. <laughs> but that's the opportunity and who would want to buy into a smaller vision than that? Who would want to buy into something that we can attain ourselves? So there we go, children to citizens. The next thing that I would, I would love to point out with promise and living this is a huge one for me um, and any of you've got a bible you can turn to genesis 1 um, and that's that in in the beginning when god created the heavens and the earth the the earth was 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 formless and void in in the um in the original language it's tohu wabohu which i just think is a cool i just any ex, any any excuse to say tohu wabohu and i'm like it's it's good. Um, you should hear Zulu people saying it. It's hilarious. Tohu wabohu. Um, so we, we, look at, we look at creation, or we look at that, that moment. The Bible says, and the Spirit of God was hovering above the deep, above the, the, the darkness of the deep. And I don't know about you, but like tohu wabohu literally means formlessness and absolute chaos. It didn't have any order to it until God spoke. And so sometimes my life feels a little bit like tohu wabohu. Like it's formless, it's chaotic. And the one thing that I want to encourage you in promised land living is that part of promised land living is to acknowledge the spirit is hovering. That this might be a bit of a mess now. And, and we got into the habit, actually, the, the, the management team on, on the village, we would often just quote, so, someone's like, how's your day? You know what, it's, uh, there's this going on, say, spirit is hovering. And we'd encourage each other with the truth that the spirit is hovering, because if you actually look at what happens next in Genesis, God literally says, light be. He speaks light into existence, and it changes everything. It separates. It brings differentiation. It changes everything. And so what I wanna encourage you in promised land living, promised land living to me looks like not having any issues. Promised land living looks like when I'm going through a challenge, when I'm going through a trial, when I'm going through a moment where I don't really know what to do, it's enough to say, Holy Spirit, you're hovering, I invite you in. Because if you actually go through the account of Genesis then and you look at what happens every time God speaks, he, he moves things away, he brings light into darkness, he creates things, he gives responsibility. Because when we invite the Holy Spirit in, it invites in the characteristics which come with, with, with the voice of God and hearing the voice of God. And all of the amazing things that happen when he speaks, it brings life, it brings wholeness. And so, in your, in, your, in your promised land living, in your spaces of finding, this is really tough. I want to invite you, acknowledge, Holy Spirit, you're hovering. You know, we had a time on the village where um, I didn't know this is what it meant, 
um, I, I still would have shared it, but we had a management meeting and um, I was chairing the meeting and like a good chair, I hadn't read through the last meeting's minutes or anything like that. So I was, walk I was walking down, um, it has been a crazy day, and I was walking down and I just said, because I don't, I don't know how to chair a meeting, I still don't know how to chair a meeting, like I'm terrible at it, they keep on putting me in, but I'm walking down, I'm like, God, I actually, I don't know what I bring to this. Holy Spirit, you are hovering, what do you want to say? And, and the Spirit of God said this, he said, tell them that I'm hovering and we're about to enter into a really difficult season, but acknowledge me, invite me in, and I will give you every solution that you need. So I shared that with the management team and they're going, yeah, sounds good. It's a bit airy-fairy, but there you go. And, um, and about, about a month later, one of the children died on the village. And we thought that was what God meant. Um, and during that time, we had some huge staffing problems with just various people on the village just going through some stuff and it was really tough. Two months after that, we had a riot. <laughs> and we had a bunch of other things going on in the village and I looked back and I thought, wow, God, you're amazing. Because when we found ourselves in the middle of that riot, we just, Holy Spirit, you're hovering like, that scripture that I shared from um, Second Chronicles 20, uh, 20 this morning with Jehoshaphat, it's like, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. <laughs> like, we have no answers here. And inviting the Spirit into that space actually gave us every strategic thing that we needed to do. God gave us scriptures. He gave us the, the, the dynamic response we needed to that riot to actually walk in victory. And I think I was just sharing with a couple of the guys just before we, just before we gathered, like, just to put it into context, um, God told us to pray and worship. That was it. Because it says in that scripture that where, where the people praised, God set traps and ambushes for the enemy and they turned on themselves and they ended up, they actually ended up wiping each other out. So we prayed and we worshiped. I mean, it's a bit of a crazy thing to do when you've got a community of people who are threatening to come and take everything that you have and we prayed and we worshipped because the Holy Spirit told us to <laughs> and then we saw we saw the victory we saw I won't say people turning on each other but people actually turned towards us and blessed us and said listen you don't need to worry nothing's going to happen now incredible incredible testimonies um, and so one of the things with the, when the Spirit is hovering as well in, in promised land living is that don't, don't just, under, don't underestimate the Holy Spirit that it's actually just there to, um, to just assist at times where things get a little bit difficult. Like you're there to co-create with the Holy Spirit. Co-creation as the ambassadors. Um, and we... You know, when Jesus says in Luke 19 that he came to seek and save all that was lost. And then in 2 Corinthians, it's talking about that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, bringing all things back to him. And scripture says that Jesus is filling all things with himself. That's such a beautiful picture. It's quite an encouragement to me as well. That we've just kind of taken on this thing. Well, if, if we believe it's kingdom, then why shouldn't we? And so, like, I'm just going to give a few healing testimonies of things that happen, have happened on, on the village this year because we co-created with the Holy Spirit based on, God, you are, you are good, you are faithful, and we believe that you've, 
you've won on all of our behalf and whether we see, whether we see something established beautifully now or we don't. Um, you know, when the Bible says that, it's, it's only, you can't please God apart from faith. And so regardless of whether I see a healing or not, it actually doesn't matter um, because I've made my dad really pleased with me because I acted in faith. And also we're not responsible for the results of our obedience. In Promise and Living, actually, let me just say that again. You're not responsible for the results of your obedience. If you feel God called you to pray for someone for healing and they don't get healed, you should, you should be as happy before as you would be if you saw the healing. Because that's faith. It's not, the value is never going to be found in um, whether or not the, the healing happens or not, because then we start to place performance and value in ourselves. But the reality is God calls us to move in faith. The, Galatians 5, looks, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So when you go to love someone, you've made God really pleased, regardless of whether you see the outcome that you expected or you don't. We saw incredible, I'll, I'll share a testimony of that. So, um, one of the guys on the village, um, he'd, he'd had a, a, a time where he, he'd just come to Jesus and he'd, he'd, gone, he'd gone out on a night out and he ended up punching someone. He broke the bones in his hand and, um, and he suffered pain in his hand for years and years and years. Um, and he's always felt shameful when the pain, whenever he felt the pain. He said, I couldn't even do a push-up without feeling the pain. It wasn't that he couldn't do a push-up, it was that he felt pain. So he felt shamed because it, it reminds him, he's like, no, but I'd given my life to Jesus and I still did this. One of our girls on the discipleship school, she said, I really feel like I've got a pain in my hand here and I feel like God's saying that he wants to, like someone's got a pain in their hand and, and he wants to bring healing to it. And, um, and so we all, and he was like, that's me. And so he shared the story and we're like, okay, let's pray. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, be healed right now. And he, and he, and he did his hand and he was like, mm, pain's still there. Then he started to weep. He said, but the shame is gone. The healing wasn't, uh, we, we, we want to try and quantify with the healing that we want to see, but actually did an emotional healing, which was actually far, far more slave orientated than pain in his hand. Because no longer he was, he was bound to, to an association, he was, he was actually bound to freedom. So don't worry about being responsible for the results of your obedience. Let God take care of that. Um, but in this ministry of reconciliation, um, you know, we, we had a girl who had a broken elbow. Um, she fell, I don't know how she did it. She fell over running backwards, playing basketball, um, and she, she hit, her, hit her elbow on the floor and she broke it. And she went to the hospital, they diagnosed it, they scanned it, and they said, yep, you've got a fracture in your elbow, blah, blah, blah. They sent her back to the village, they said, tomorrow we'll put a cast on or whatever it is. So we were like, ah, man. I mean, we respect doctors and love doctors. They're a gift, amazing people. But God is God. <laughs> and just because someone has told me that someone has a broken elbow doesn't mean that I need to say that's going to stay that way. Jesus didn't do it when people were dead. It's true. So we, we just prayed and we got, and I actually took it to the hospital because I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to be part of that thing when, when the doctor says that it's not broken. And he did. He said, it's not broken. And then, and we came back and these, these young, young people from all around the UK, their eyes went, Boo! they were like, what? Really? And then in a space of about three weeks, 
And I, I'm not, I don't really agree with counting healings, but it got to the point where it was just a bit stupid how many healings happened, that it was just a bit of fun to see how much God had done. We counted in about three weeks, there was over 20 healings full healings that happened to different people for different ailments or physical pains or whatever. Like we had people come to our exercise class and they were, they were limping in and they were running out because they'd, they'd been healed. We had people having neck spasms in the middle of exercise and people laying hands and praying for them, just declaring the kingdom come and your will being done and just releasing healing. And then the person would carry on doing the exercise. Like incredible things. We went into the community. Um, this one's a belter. So we went into the community and um, we spent time with um, a, a couple who, who got married on the village. Actually, Johnny, my friend here, he was the best man of the guy who got married. Um, Johnny was on the program as well last year. And so we, we, went, we went through to this, to this small house in the community, this wooden house, which the villagers helped build for this couple who, who got married on the village. And um, their grandma, their go-go, um, had literally been paralyzed from her legs from, from, her, from her waist down for about 15 years. And just to put it into context, she, she, like, she had to crawl um, across the room and drag her legs, and they had to obviously try and lift her up and stuff. So it was a really desperate situation. And um, so I was just there with one of the discipleship um, school students from this year, um, Lara, and um, they just said, hey, listen, Gogo's, Gogo's legs are not good. So I said, well, hey, listen, let's just pray. Like, we, we know that God wants to bless and however, whatever love looks like in this moment, we know that he's gonna do it. And so we prayed and um, the lady's foot had basically been turned in for like five years um, and her foot started to move like this and we're like, hey, Holy Spirit. And so we carried on praying and then, I mean, we didn't, we didn't see much, much after that. Um, and then the next day, um, the Michael and Ozipo, they came to church and they, you're never gonna guess what. What? They said, Gogo got up today. She got up. And even though she was using her, um, her Zimmer frame, she got up and she walked to the toilet for the first time in 15 years. Absolutely. And, you know, promised and living, acknowledging Holy Spirit and asking, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? in any given moment, and don't worry if it changes, if it changes course. Like I was pr praying for a guy for, for healing of his shoulder, and the healing wasn't coming, so I said, okay, God, what are you doing? Said, and he gave me a picture, I said, I'm gonna share, I shared this picture with him, with this guy who had the, the, the bad shoulder, and he was like, oh my goodness, how did you know? So we went through that, and then at the end, he was like, oh, my shoulder's healed. <laughs> it's like, but, but I'd placed, I'd placed, the will in, in a specific thing. And I think that's the one thing about promised and living is go where you feel him smile. Where you feel him smiling over, like go to that space. Um, because you're gonna need those moments. Those moments are gonna give you courage. They're gonna give you fights. They're gonna, you, you, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a body, you need to, you need to build your your opportunities for testimonies of what you've been through as a family. So that, you know, promise and remember when this happens. Like I'll still remember, remember when we prayed for your, your hamstring on the church weekend away and we left a handprint and you got completely healed. Like I remember that because we went through it as a family. That's a testimony which brought the body to, to this place, but there's always more. 
And I'm not saying that testimonies always have to be around healing. That's just something that I really love. But whatever it is that you're passionate about, whatever it is that you want to see the kingdom break out in, like take risks, ask Holy Spirit, what are you doing here and now? And if you have to change plan on the way, great. Because um, there's something very special about inheritance. And if I can find it in my, yes, I can. There's something really inspiring. How long have I got, sorry? <laughs> Another five, okay, great. Um, there's, something, there's something really special about, about the inheritance that we can walk into. Um, so as children of God, we, we walk into inheritance, we receive by lots, and this is, this is from the Greek word, I'm not gonna try and pronounce it, but we receive, we receive it um, through lots, we receive um, a birthright because of sonship, not because of anything that we've done, but because of something that's already been paid for us. We receive it as a gift which is attached to faith, but we also receive inheritance through obedience. And I really feel that we as a church, I feel like there's a lot of obedient steps which we might have been called to make, which would have unlocked a lot more inheritance for us, but we've chosen not to step into that because it's too embarrassing, it's too shameful. If it goes wrong then, but just remember, we're not responsible for the results of our obedience. Step into it anyway, because he's calling us into it. It's gonna have, guys, it's gonna have to be radical. It's gonna have to be radical. It's gonna have to take someone to say, I'm gonna look after a thousand children on a hill in the middle of a community to see the kingdom of God break out. Like that's how it looks in South Africa. What does it look like in Worcester? Um, the, the next thing I want to encourage you guys to do is to walk in the way of love, which is from Ephesians 5. Because um, I actually came to a point this year where I realized, or it felt like I realized, I didn't know how to love. Like I really thought that I did, you know, I'd take, I'd take people on a tour around the village and um, you give the kids a hug and oh, look how much he loves them. They see him as a dad. And the thing that I learned about, the thing that I learned about love is that I, I learned it when I took a lady home from the community um, to, to her home after a gathering on a Sunday. Her name is Mum Brenda um, and I, I love her so much. And um, I dropped her off at home and she's got two walking sticks, she can hardly walk. Um, and when I took her to her house, there was no steps up a, up a steep, um, I'm not, it's like a dirt hill, there's no grass on it. Well, there's little tufts of grass. I said to her, Ma, how are you gonna get up to your house? She said, I will crawl. So I saw a 45 year old woman crawling up a hill, grabbing grass to get home. And I stood and I watched and I was like, and, and I could, everything in me wanted to just bawl my eyes out because I thought love should compel me so much in this moment that I would do any, like I would pick this woman up and I would carry her up and there was something missing from within me and I just said to God, God, I don't even know if I know how to love. And I said, Father, please, please teach me about love. And, I, and again, just like I was saying, I, I expected to be this one moment you would say, Break our half for what breaks yours, and then you wait, and it's like, did it happen? And, and the thing is, God didn't give me a moment. He gave me moments, and that S changes everything because you have to continually say yes to that. And, and the thing that God showed me, I'll quickly end off with, with, with two points, but the, the thing that God showed me about love is that it's an iceberg. 
Love is an iceberg because an iceberg, you see the 10% above the water. That's what you see. That's how you quantify what is before you. And God showed me that love is like an iceberg because we try and quantify love by the 10% we show above the surface. Or at least he showed that maybe you're different. (laughs) But there's a few nodding heads. He showed me that you quantify and you perform for people with your 10% above the surface and that's what you're satisfied with. What are you doing with the 90 that can't be quantified and that no one else can see? Because in those moments where, whoa, those moments where you, 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 you meet people who get up your nose and you have to make a choice in your heart, you might honor them with your mouth, but your heart is far from. And, and the thing that I would, I would really want to encourage us as a church is because I think if we, can, if, we can, if we can embrace this journey of what love really looks like and, and understanding this 90% underneath the surface is that um, when... <laughs> Let me just say like this, I think that there's going to be so much power unleashed in us when we actually take time to cultivate the 90% below the surface, which we can't perform for anyone. No one can quantify for us because it purely comes out of relationship with him. And I fear that's where we as a church have lost our power. Because if you actually look at the life of Jesus, the 100% was between him and Father. Our 10% on the top is what we try and, but if people can see that I'm doing enough, if this person can see me in that moment with that person on the street, then that's enough. Brad, I've dared myself and I'm daring the church, I'm daring the body of Christ to cultivate your 90% underneath, which no one will quantify for you. But Jesus also said you will be known by your fruit. So it's not like you're going to stay in that space. People will recognize. People will recognize because love never fails. But we say that. We say love never fails when we're just giving it our 10%. Love's never going to fail when we learn to, when we learn to like cultivate that 90% underneath the surface. And so just in, in, in promised and living for your for your season that you're about to go into. I just wanna, I just wanna, I wanna charge you almost with learning to love each other really well. And I actually said to Steve O'Rourke, one of the things which I've really valued about being back here and just an encouragement to you guys is the family, the family values, the family feel, the culture, the atmosphere that, that is created here with this body of people is beautiful. It's, it's more united than when, I was, when I, than when I was here. It's such an amazing thing to experience and to see the unity in the body here. But I, I want to encourage you again, there is more. There is more. Would we learn to cultivate that 90% underneath the surface? No one's ever going to say, hey, I can see you doing that. Only you and Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So I want to encourage you, value each other. Learn, like I said this morning, learn who you are as the gift. Who you are as the gift to this body. And let that be enough. Let that be enough. And when, new, when, when, when students come in, speak words of life over them and show them, show them the gift that they are to this body. When anyone comes in, 
And even the people, like, make a point to go and speak to people who you don't normally speak to and learn about them and honor them and love them well and, and speak life over them. Because like I said this morning, Jesus is going to come back for his bride. And we get the chance to do the makeup. We get the chance to be a part of the preparation, like it's such a special time, wedding day. Like everyone gathers with the, with the bride. Everyone gathers with the groom. Two separate things. They're preparing, they're preparing, they're preparing, but it's not just that final preparation. These preparations have been going on for weeks and months. Dealing with family expectations most of the time. But on that, on that morning, they gather together in full unity. And the, the women will sit around the bride and say, you are beautiful. Look at your dress. I can't wait to see you walk down the aisle. I just think we, we have that opportunity to, to dress ourselves really well. So that when he comes, he would say, wow. I mean, I believe he's already said that we were worth every moment of the cross. I really believe it. But I, I just think if, if we could prepare a bride, we could be that bride, that beautiful body that he's coming back for. I just, I don't know about you, I just want to give my life to saving that. 